This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Philip Search and Don Benedetto of Canary Cocktails and Spirits. They make superior cocktails that are ready to drink. They craft drinks so you don't have to. They start with quality spirits and real ingredients. You are going to love these ready-to-drink cocktails. Do reach out to Don and Philip and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. He's Don Benedetto. He's Philip Search. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here. And this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us, man. You, now, nailed, you nailed the name, too. Nailed the name. <laughs> I was practicing. Well, this is exciting because we get to talk cocktails and spirits today. And it's in the afternoon on uh, Wednesday, and we're going to taste some things and some expressions that you guys make. What I'm curious about, what I want to know is, how did Canary Cocktails and Spirits get started? Well, I guess that'd be me. Um <clears throat> Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting and fun sort of history. Um, been around the beverage industry for a long time, um, going back a, lo- a very long time. And, um, you know, over the last 20, 25 years, done everything from, you know, heavily involved in various aspects of the coffee industry to various things with distilling, managing a lot of bars and restaurants, setting up a lot of bar programs um, kind of all across the country. And... Um, that sort of leads into, you know, um, COVID and all of those things that happened and sort of the impact that that had on the industry as a whole. Um, so a lot of what we do kind of comes out of what started to happen as places shut down. Um, <clears throat> you know, when it comes to our canned ready to drink cocktails, our, our stuff's a little bit unique because it really comes out of our experience in the food and beverage industry along with manufacturing. Um, it's very different than most of the canned beverages that are out there where, you know, there's an idea of a cocktail, let's say, and that recipe is primarily driven by a food scientist who has a ton of knowledge about building that drink and putting it in a can and doing it in the most cost-effective way possible for a large company that wants to have, you know, a whiskey sour in a can. Um, our stuff typically starts from more from the perspective of those years of, of tasting beverages, tasting spirits, building um, programs for bars, for cocktails, for consumers. So it really starts with that idea of like a bartender 
making you something that's really, really, really good. Um, and that's, you know, that, that kind of is what sets it apart. But um, to go back to kind of how we started during COVID, um, <clears throat> there were a couple of different aspects of things. Um, one, you know, obviously in Philadelphia, all these restaurants and bars were shut down. And at best, what they could do is some takeout stuff. And the takeout format for most of that was absolutely horrible. Yeah, they weren't ready. Yeah. They didn't know some of the rules. Yeah. Shelf life, all kinds of different things all that kinds you of help things. navigate. And, and a plastic cup with ice is not the best to go format for a cocktail. <laughs> with some foil um, over top. <laughs> like, in, in let's say, even if it was going in bottles, there's like shelf life problems, there's all of those sorts of things. Um, on top of that, at that time, I was doing a lot of work with various liquor companies with their reps, um, helping them with events and tastings, educational stuff for bartenders and things. Um, I would do recipes, batch cocktails, etc. for them. Um, and um, a local area rep all of a sudden needed to do everything not in person um, and begged me, begged me to can some drinks that um, she could then send out to, you know, um, bars and their staff to do online you know, video trainings um, where they would have those cocktails already and, and could be sampling them during a Zoom call. Um, for several years, people had asked me to can cocktails for things like that. I've always said no because I knew what a giant pain in the butt it really is and how much work it has to go in to make that thing both a quality item and something safe. But at that time, with all these places being closed, I'm looking at my friend's bars and their whole life investment into something, and I'm like, you know, we could really help with this problem that's there. Um, not even thinking that it would have longevity that it did, so I started, you know, very small operation of, of um, canning and co-branding a lot of um, bar stuff for their, for their takeout. And we actually had a mobile setup where we could go on site to their place under their liquor license, use their booze, we build the cordials and things and set up and, and basically co-pack and co-brand um, those places, beverages, so they could sell them out of to-go window. And, you know, uh, there was a lot of success with that. Um, Don and I met a little later when we were um, both involved in a, in a big bar project. That I'm actually an attorney. <laughs> I have no, no idea about alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> other, well, than, a, other than from the consumption end, but I do a lot of bar and restaurant work, so... We met that, you know, through some of that. But one thing I realized is, is kind of as we came out of COVID, it's like, well, there's a way to make money here because the bar is making all the money because it's their booze. So if we got the limited distillery license where we would make the finished product then, taking his thing he learned from COVID how to make, once you try these, you'll realize it's a better drink than 90% of that you're going to get at a bar. So taking Phil's idea and his ability to put a perfect cocktail in a can and then we were able to sell the fully finished product. As soon as I tried it, he like so I was like, "Oh, I got this thing." And I went and tried. I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Because normally you try these things and you like pour it out behind you, right? It's not that. So as soon as we saw it, we got to get some way to license this where we can make the whole turnkey finished product and release it retail, wholesale, to the masses. And that's you're here. Yeah. And here we are. And, <laughs> but and and what we found is our conversations there's so much that has come out of COVID mm -hmm. that has 
found solutions for things. Sure. That actually not only has found solutions, but has made and elevated things to be to be better. And it really sounds like that's the basis. Yeah. Besides helping your friends and your colleagues and the people you know stay in business, but you've elevated that yeah, right. and it's made it better. Because you wouldn't you would look at a drink in a can before and be like, well, why would I have it? Right. But as it came out of COVID, especially in Pennsylvania, a lot of the quality bartenders left because they couldn't work for so long or they got out of the profession. Right. So they either moved to Florida or the South somewhere if they were single and able or they went and sold insurance. So you're really left with like a lot of inexperienced people or places just don't have the manpower to make you what you used to get, which you liked. And this guy figured out how to make it perfect in the can. So now if your bar doesn't have the staff or if you're home or whatever, there it is. Now we're in this space and you've really built it out. Talk about the process. <laughs> you, you mentioned getting the license to do this. Talk about the process that you have sure. gone through to get there. Not only that, obtaining this space in Wayne, Pennsylvania and, you know, all that you do with the, the canning and, and just what you figured out to get to where you are today. I would say like there's a couple things. I mean, it's a lot of it's it's been a lot of sort of coming up with solutions and bootstrapping things. You know, we're not a giant company. Um, we we have a couple of employees, but it's a lot of us. You know, Don a lawyer all day, and then I put we, labels on cans. Yeah, we come in and straight. You'll see. <laughs> come in and label. We, we, you know, there's a lot of that, but um, I think. Some things were very fortunate. Like when you talk about the space, it lined up through a mutual friend of ours, um, and it just was kind of a perfect fit. I live around here, and at the time, they were doing everything in the city, and the city's kind of gotten more and more untenable in terms of doing business in. And I mean, simply put, like when you came, like we can pull a truck up to the gate, load it up, get drinks out the door, and deliver pretty much anywhere from here. We're right by the highways. But this was, if you could believe it, this was just a full warehouse of stuff, I think, in August. And then we just, it was perfect because it had a ton of power, a, you know, a ton of every utility we could need. It just needed to be cleaned out and turned into a canning line. Um, so we really went from kind of working in, you mentioned you've seen smaller spaces, a very small space in the city, uh, like a commissary type of space where before we got the license, but what we did is got this space while we were applying for the licensing. And I mean, we've only had the license a few weeks now. So you've gotten us like, we had our first tasting, like I think two or three weeks ago. So yeah, we're very, we are, very new, you know, but Phil kept actually as to how we start met, I had to come clean as a lawyer, kind of a bar restaurant mess up. And that's where I met Phil, but he literally held on to the quality staff from that place. And that's who helped him do it when they were canning COVID. So we've kept those people online. I don't think they were canning COVID. Were they done? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another product line that I've got to talk to you about, <laughs> but canning during COVID. Okay. Because um, uh, I think there's some investigations that would like to be done now. So, okay. Okay. But that's, I mean, that's literally the staff we carried through. Um, and that's how we are. We had the staff set to go. We had the expertise. You know, we have Phil, who's, you know, a chef. We have another chef. So we have all the pieces to do it. So I kind of hand the more, you know, dealing with finding spaces and dealing with getting licenses. And this guy knows how to make the finished product. So here we are. Phil, I'm, I'm curious about this background and how you got into the beverage industry to start with, because I think that's helped to create the springboard to where you are today. Yeah. So, I mean, it all starts somewhere, right? Right. Um, 
a lot of where this started was, you know, like I think for a variety of people, um, I was going to school and needed a part-time job while I was going to college and, you know, convinced my way into a coffee shop. Um, there was also another coffee shop on campus where I started, you know, work as a barista. Um, and, you know, eight years of, of studying various things later, um, realized like I actually really enjoyed the variety of beverage work that I was doing. Um, through that, I mean, could kind of skip over, skip over a lot of things. But You've been got, a yada, yada, yada the whole process. <laughs> no, but I, I just, I had some really unique... It was a barista, yada, 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 here we are today. Yeah, I, no, but I had some really unique um, experiences. So I was able to work, for example, in, um, through, through some of the coffee stuff, that led me into, um, I did some work in a sensory lab. And, you know, with full, like, you know, um, sensory deprivation tasting room where, you know, a little door slides open and you sit in the dark and you block completely blind, try things and, um, working with the lab staff, um, there's some amazing people, um, learned a lot more of the science of taste so that it's one thing, you know, a really skilled bartender, a really skilled barista, um, can often talk to you about flavor similes, right? Like, you try this bourbon and it has this caramel note. It has this vanilla note, right? And they make those flavor similes. Um, working that lab taught me a lot about things like the organic acids and being able to taste and name them. This is what creates this flavor. This reaction does this thing. This is what this flaw is. Um, you know, and all along I kind of sub, uh, you know, kind of filled in my, um, you know, do coffee things in the day can easily bar back and bartend at night and, you know, built that up. And then that, that sort of took more of a front role when I took a little bit of a step back from some of the coffee side. Um, although we do some stuff with coffee here that we can talk about in a minute, but, um, you know, cause that was like kind of a pretty, the coffee side for me was a pretty consuming thing. When I say I did stuff in coffee, not little things, every aspect of the coffee industry sort of so you're um, bringing in beans you're roasting beans yeah. you're grinding beans the whole you're the doing whole, the whole different family. flavor profiles you know, and things like that with beans yeah i worked did a lot of training of baristas all the way to did a lot of work with um working directly with farmers in terms of like um going to their farms spending time with them teaching them certain certain aspects that i could help with along with an agronomist that then helps them market their products better. Um, but kind of in any aspect from the farm to the end consumer, there were, there were different phases of stuff that I was doing in coffee at the same time, once again, working in the bar industry. And that led to, you know, a little bit of work with the rum distillery, um, further, you know, honing in skills as far as tasting, um, I was lucky enough to be sort of one of the test people for the Cicerone project um, with beer and, and going through a lot of that, those programs. Um, I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest, so like as the craft beer Explains scene a lot, right? was yeah. booming over there and the coffee scene was booming, you know, that led to a lot of other stuff. Um, you know, and all kinds of, all of those experiences kind of built layers into um, what we could do, you know, and did a lot of also helping with opening restaurants and bar programs. So, you know, kind of understanding like, oh, hey, what do they need? Um, 
And that's, that's all of those pieces build into kind of the products that we're doing now, because it's an understanding of what you might want as a consumer. And it's also an understanding on our wholesale side of like what a bar's specific needs might be, whether it's pre COVID or after COVID, you know, how, how they truly can run efficiently and well, um, versus how often they end up being pushed to running either through kind of the negative parts of the industry or through, you know, lack of experience, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I'm sure there's a thing that I'm missing in that whole, whole long. Well, I mean, I think part of it is for you, you got that whole witness protection thing. So you don't want to give us too many details about where you worked and what you did and all those things, but that's okay. When we were back at your R and D department at your overflow uh, alcohol shelf, right? You talked about the fact that you co-pack or you're a co-packer mm. and you also have some distilled spirits that you're working with through other distilleries, if I understand that correctly. Yeah. I don't see a still in this facility. There's not. So what you're doing is, and, and my mind says, all right, you got these this beautiful open space. It's really, I can imagine what it looked like when you said <laughs> it was full, but this is clean and pristine to what you have here. Mm -hmm. What's the process if um, somebody as either a... Uh, a distillery or a cidery or me, you know, whoever you're packing for, whoever you're doing the ready to drink cocktails, what's, what are the steps to get from, I have an idea to now I can put my, um, my, my juice and my, you know, my ideas in a can. So, so Don can label them and uh, go from there. Yeah. So it depends on the type of client, but it's, um, it's relatively simple. We've tried to eliminate a lot of the, um, a lot of the difficulty. So spend a lot of time researching what exactly we can put in the can with our specific can liner and how we can um, craft recipes. We also have sort of a secret process that we do where we, the flavoring part of what goes in there, we build everything from scratch and it's real stuff. It's not, you know, we're not throwing malic acid and citric acid and potassium and et cetera, et cetera, to create a pineapple flavor or an orange flavor. We're using bitter orange peel, actual citrus juice, actual oranges, you know, those things. So it's it's like crafting a real base product for those things, but also knowing like then what we have to do in terms of pasteurization and talk about it being clean, you know, we have like a clean space where we're we're making those things in a way that everything can be stabilized and put in a can. Um, so for most of our clients, it depends on what the client is. So let's say we just did a we just did some cans for um, Widow Jane. They were having a group of bartenders going up to their their facility, and um, one of the reps called me and he's like, "Hey, I would love to have a couple of cases of um, this co of a coffee beverage." Um, he was specifically talking about like we do a an espresso martini that's done with bourbon. He's like, I would love to have those for this group that we're taking on a tour at the Widow Jane facility. And we're super nimble. So for that, we're like, okay, here's the price. Here's the, you know, he didn't need to give us recipes. Like, here's the recipe. Um, you know, I need X amount of your bourbon. And that's, that's pretty much how that goes. Um, <clears throat> for some of our other clients, let's say it's a restaurant we can sit down with them and go, okay, what do you want on your menu? Can I see the specs for what those cocktails are? Can I try them and, and get some of the approximate for what those tastes are? And then we're usually able to like craft that into a very quality version of their menu. Um, 
And, you know, we have some smart things like Don mentioned, keeping staff from restaurants and stuff like that. So we have guys that are experienced in that. Um, we have a graphics artist that we have on staff that is able to then take that restaurant's branding, turn it into a beautiful hand on label. Um, and, you know, we sort of have like the whole package. So like, for example, you can see some labels over here. Those are for the landing kitchen, which is um, uh, Fia Brashear and Nick Elmi's spot um, just right over here. You know, so we do, we've been doing, you know, custom drinks for them. Like for variety, they have a little coffee shop with a liquor license downstairs in this beautiful outdoor space, but they don't really have room for a bar. So it was a, you know, we give them samples. The process is we give them samples. They say, oh, I really like this, this cocktail. We work out a label and, you know, a few weeks later, we're able to just produce that. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think you pointed out one thing that you don't see is still, because I think early on we realized there was no reason for us to distill our own product. Uh, we're making mixed drinks and we're able to source product that I think um, when we put it into the mixed drink, it's better than anything we're going to make here anyway. I mean, we talk about this all the time. I mean, I'm sure you've run into a lot of things and you try it and you know, we ran into one bar and we had to drink, try their drinks and what they were pouring out of the well was, it was awful, right? You wouldn't clean your brakes with it. And it was, we were able to fix that problem pretty easily. And then realizing there was no cost efficiency in distilling our own product or going through that, you know, process because I don't, we don't gain anything out of it. But if you were, for example, if you were a distiller, you're say you're a local Pennsylvania distiller and you make vodka and you come to us and say, hey, we want to, you know, four vodka drinks because we're in the distilling business. All day we'll make you four drinks, put our branding, you know, our co-branding on the can with yours and say made with, you know, Rich's vodka. Um, that's something we do regularly. It's, it's a part of our business. I mean, if you think of our business, there's really kind of three silos to it, right? There's the straight retail to the folks, right? There's co-packing for people like that that have a spirit that they want a drink built around um they could be a distiller they could be you know whoever that they want a specific product like as he was mentioning and then there's just the kind of the wholesale end of it where he's where we're putting a product together for a specific bar or a restaurant and i mean that's the why you won't ever see a still here <laughs> there's, a, there's a cost efficiency part um i also want to just chime in on the fact that like i think the industry as a whole has a lot of really quality people making amazing stuff. And then also a flip side to that of a lot of people are not necessarily required a hundred percent label honesty for where stuff is coming. I would, I would say that most consumers would be very, very surprised that even amongst the biggest companies, a large amount of booze is sourced, diluted and bottled. This is not a new thing. This goes back to the founding. Of, oh, absolutely. The founding <laughs> yeah. of the colonies, right? I mean, we've always sort of like farmer has farmer has grain, and he's gonna he's gonna put about ten bushels of grain in a wagon from Central PA per wagon load, and then have to take that wagon. He has a hundred bushels, and he has to take that wagon down to the port, and he's gonna sell that grain. But ten bushels of that grain come down to about one gallon of distilled high proof alcohol, which sells for about the same amount of money. So he can take all a hundred bushels, distill it down, put it in one wagon and it goes to the, um, you know, at that time to the British who then like, it's part of the, the trade in spirits that involves multiple other places and blending and all of those things. So we're kind of carrying on that legacy part, 
But um, I mean, in the modern era, um, to really, really distill well and been there and understand how that works, um, it's not just about making a little bit of something because, you know, we want to be able to give everyone from the consumer to our wholesale clients a, a superior quality product at a price that isn't, you know, um, prohibitive. And that's, that's the other piece of that. So part of that involves us sourcing really good things. It doesn't mean we don't make things with spirit because they're definitely, we'll try some stuff. Um, we make aperitivos and amaros and various other things. So if it's something that we can't, that we can't easily source, you know, we have our base alcohols that we're sourcing in bulk, you know, and, um, some of it I feel like is a little innovative and some of it is, is, you know, pretty standard. A lot of people are doing that. I mean, I think the shelves are just full of product, right? I mean, I'm not going to make a better vodka than Grey Goose. I don't know. I think <laughs> we, we tasted a better vodka than Grey Goose, and we've had better vodka than Grey Goose before. We just, with, with Springhouse Spirits, their vodka was unlike anything Dawn and I have had ever. Yeah. And, and there's, there's that one. It's, and then there's 30 others out there. Well, I, I think... I haven't tried them yet. <laughs> For that one, there's 30 that... Aren't going to even be able to be used in a in a mixed drink, right? And you don't want yeah. to put that. You're not going to put your name on no. that. No. And that's exactly where the craft and what you're bringing mm -hmm. for what you're bringing forward to the consumer. Yeah. yeah, there's no. We wouldn't. I wouldn't take something that tastes as bad as some of the wells out there and put it in our drink. Just it would make yeah. the drink horrible. <laughs> I, think, I gave you a lineup of, of some of our bulk source stuff and we can try it through and I think you'll be really surprised. I mean, that's where the tasting of things for years and the sourcing of things for years comes in, you know, because we're able to go, Ooh, this is amazing, you know, and let's, this is perfect for what we're doing with it. Um, whether it starts at our vodka, you know, and then other things, like I said, we, we might, get in a bulk grain neutral spirit and modify that to become something else. Um, whether that's our version of Campari that's over there, you know, we don't call it Campari, obviously it's a branded thing, but we make something similar. It's right. a bitter aperitivo, you know, um, we make, we make another one, we call it, um, aperitivo number one. It's, it's kind of a, um, a gin based, um, spirit that goes in our plums cup, you know, which is, um, you know, it, uh, augments to bourbon and it has a bunch of fun things in it. So there's those sorts of like crafting of things where we couldn't go source that thing or it's, it's, we need this to be a certain way for the can with certain things in it. Can't have dyes, can't have et cetera. And maybe that doesn't exist on the market. So we need to, we need to craft that thing. But, um, I've always been impressed though. <clears throat> the, the real work of getting a consumer, a top quality thing in a bottle is, people sitting there and tasting things, whether it's bourbon where you're blending stuff that's like for both cost reasons, but for quality reasons, you're blending four year old, seven year old, 12 year old bourbons from different spots in the Rick house to create that flavor that people know is that bourbon, you know, or there's entire brands that are just sourced things that people do a really good job of sourcing all of that, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and I, like I said, I think there's a lot of history to that. And we just kind of built on that because our craft piece is what you see as the finished product in the can, you know, and for the consumer, that's solving a lot of the things because even if you have the reason that most of my home bar is in here is because even as like a 25 plus year bartender, I don't necessarily want to go home 
make fresh juice, get out all the tools, make a cordial or a syrup or a thing, <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, shake a cocktail and whatever. And God forbid I'm having a party. And then all of a sudden, like, I'm now stuck for the next three hours making cocktails for my guests. Um, so a lot of like, this is like thinking, oh, hey, you know, this solves that problem. Boom, here you go. And you know, so we put that work in and it's, and it's a, it's a fun sort of thing because we've, what we've managed to do is get that same quality of thing in a stable can. Um, and you know, so now we're, we're taking out all of that work, but you know, in a 30 gallon batch. Um, so it's a, it's a, you know, there's no, there's no stopping. It's as easy as cracking a seltzer, you know, which I think has also helped open the market for what we're doing is like people have gotten used to drinking different things other than beer out of a can. Um, whereas before they kind of would turn their nose up to it. Um, I think that that's that plus COVID has sort of loosened up. It changed the consumer perspective. It really has and and created a new consumer, a new a new space for things to come in. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to try the whole litany of things that you have available. I can't wait. You've like set this up perfectly. So we're going to take a break and come back. Pardon the interruption. If you like what you hear, if you love what you're hearing, please share the podcast. Please take a screenshot of the podcast, post it on your social media, tag us, Just to let everybody else know about Fermented Adventure, the podcast, we'd be grateful for your help to grow our podcast. We're back, and I'm freaking giddy about the fact that there is so much here to try. And you pointed out this wall of cans that through COVID, you canned over 100 different different kinds of recipes for for all kinds of businesses and mm-hmm. and things like that and to me this this experience you've had has brought us here today and uh, I'm excited I can't wait to try all these things and I think where we're going to start Philip is you want to start with your the some of the things you're using the base spirits mm-hmm. the, the 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 amaros and things that you're making correct yeah absolutely just to give you an idea of like what um because you did mention canning all of those things, and those were under individual places' licenses. So it would be, um, I would offer suggestions to them of what spirits we should source for a particular recipe. But let me tell you, the good and the bad, I've tried all of the things, because I think, I mean, it's well over 300 different um, cocktails that we were canning during that time for various bars and restaurants and um, got to try some pretty phenomenal spirits that landed in a can and some pretty awful things. So I'll give you a taste of like what we think are kind of perfect things for consumers. So this is, um, this is our base vodka. Um, it's 100% corn, um, 40% alcohol, standard 80 proof, um, works really well to create sort of a background of alcohol for um, delicious crushable drinks. Are you allowed to share where you're sourcing this from, or is that a proprietary That's secret? Double secret. Okay, double secret. Double secret. I get on this almost like a burnt caramel note to it. See, I'm one of those, and Dawn and I share this opinion, that yes, back in the 90s and early 2000s, vodka should be odorless, tasteless, nothing to it. And I think the word craft has come in, and I think what's helping to elevate things that mm-hmm. you're doing is there are things of flavor that do come out of vodka. Oh, 100%. And maybe you want to temper it, but you get personality. 
And if you're starting with a great spirit, as you said, you've tried all of this, the good, the bad, and everything. If you start with a great spirit, it makes that cocktail and elevates it to such a higher place. Yeah, and we could we could talk for a long time about where that like 100% neutral, no flavor, no aroma idea comes from. That's really from large companies trying to market a product. That's not... There is, with vodka, certainly a long tradition of, of a couple of different vodkas being quality craft spirits that goes way back. I mean, I have a, I have a ton of respect for, and this is not, this is hundred percent, this is hundred percent corn vodka. Um, but, um, I have a ton of respect for rye vodkas, um, especially like certain Polish rye vodkas and the, the, the sort of artisanal reflection of that can come out. Um, you know, and this, in this, I wanted a little bit of that sweetness. Enough, the sweetness is there. You know, enough neutrality that yep. it, it sort of can accent other things. Um, and that's where we ended up. And it needed to be clean. The one thing about doing our process is if the ingredients aren't quality going in, it really affects the whole thing because we're not hiding or masking any flavors. Um, so if... If I'm using citrus juice that isn't correct all the way down to... And that's why, like, we build the bitters. We build all of those pieces because we want every aspect, starting with the spirit and going from there, to be of quality so that it reflects sort of what comes out in the can. Um, I like this. We're going to do vodka, and then we're going to open that up. This yeah, is great. It's going to be a vodka cocktail. So. Phil's got a plan for you. I love it. I love Phil's plan. <laughs> so now what is this? Now, the cocktails that are here, these are your cocktails. Yes. These your... are our stock, um, the six that we launched with. Okay. Where are you? Where can people find these cocktails now, and how do they get their hands on them? Um, they can contact us um, or order through the website, and they can pick up here if they're, we deliver to a certain radius, um, and we can ship to Pennsylvania. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Right. That's dangerously so, fun, to be honest. Yeah. All right. I love I love the essence of berry. You lead with blackberry, but the first thing I got more of was honey and sweetness. Mm -hmm. And then there's this almost like this um, citrus peel that finishes in the end mm -hmm. with this essence of the berry yeah, on there. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, um, that's our blackberry honey smash. The... The flavors that you're describing are exactly kind of where it's supposed to be. Um, we didn't want berry to be the primary note for the sense that that tends to be, that's all you would taste. But you definitely get that blackberry. The citrus peel you're tasting is um, partially from the bitters that we make for that. Okay. They're, they're, um, uh, there's a heavy component of bitter orange peel that goes into there. Um, it's blackberries, honey, lemon angelica bitter orange peel those are the main flavoring things and then you know it just builds around that vodka that you just very tasted. dangerous vacation drink. what's the ebv yeah. on this that one's 10 percent. 10 percent. all yeah. right so this is a, a couple of these sitting around a fire you've got some sort of wedding event you know yeah. baby's first birthday i'm selling i'm selling that i'm pouring that you know yeah. that sounds good it's definitely uh, you know and then you you People think, oh, it's an eight ounce can. It's ten percent. That's not that bad. You know, three or four in, and you're like, Whew. well, I stopped at a couple. You went three or four. Three, <laughs> three is nap time. Now, <laughs> what do these retail for? So that if I'm, do I, I buy a four pack? Right. Mm -hmm. I'm coming to you. I see on the website. I'm picking up the whole line. What are we retailing these for? So these are a four pack is twenty four ninety nine. Um, and then we give discounts for volume. Twenty four ninety nine is super cheap because yeah. I know if I go to a bar or restaurant, 
I'm probably paying somewhere between $12 and $15 a pour for that cocktail, depending on where you are. Mm -hmm. Plus, you have to tip on top of that. Now, that's that's a very inexpensive four-pack. I think that's so reasonable. That's about a drink and a third, too. You have about a a little bit left to pour. Per can. Yeah. Yeah, per can. That's nice. I think the price point is great, but already you've introduced so much flavor, so much personality. I can take that as as you illustrated, Philip, and I can open up one of those, pour it. Nobody sees me do it. Put a nice little garnish on there. Right? Yeah. And they're yeah. like, wow, you're the best bartender ever. Yeah. <laughs> the first no, time he gave them to me, I was going on vacation and I took those and I drank one or two. And then the kids were like, where'd dad go? And I'd just be sitting by the beach with two or three of those and it'd be over. I mean, they're so smooth and easy to drink. So I love the lingering bitterness of that. It, it's, it, but you still get the sweetness of the honey. It really punches through. That's, yeah. that's delicious. Awesome. So this is, um, you're tasting our Blanco Agave spirit. It is not a tequila um, because it does not have a DSP from Mexico. Um, and I would put this, though, against any of those. I mean, that's, that's one thing where, you know, sourcing tequilas, almost every tequila that you try comes from one of three distilleries. And I have a massive respect for all the work that goes into all of those things. Um, for us, for the purpose of cocktails, um, we wanted to have a sustainability aspect to that. And that, that came a lot about when how we've sort of um, selected this for our um, agave-based cocktails. So, See, now, I, I love the way you do this with the base spirit. And then we see where all those other flavors are marrying into that. Mm-hmm. This is juicy. It's peppery. It's citrusy. Um, what's the proof come in on, on that? Um, so what you tried should be, yeah, it's 50. That's at 50%. Okay. So, you know, that's 100 proof. Um, a lot of what you're going to be tasting is right around there um, because that's, that's also where I kind of have it for my baseline for me tasting the things before I start crafting the recipe for um, for the actual drink. So you make so. sure that that spirit still has some backbone to it, mm-hmm. and you're not yeah. really killing it, especially if you're bringing in a lot of you know natural flavors mm-hmm. and a lot of personality to it. Yeah, absolutely. Don, what's your you know what's your feedback or what's your experience now that you've sure. gotten involved here and you're a partner and right. you get to see all this stuff that's happening? No, I mean the main thing has been you know Phil's expertise and the reception that people have given the product. I mean the first tasting we did a few weeks ago I'd say that an easy three quarters of the people that tried it bought it and some of the things you said you know I'm always watching price point reception you know are people looking at the price right because you got it immediately you go into a bar you're paying $12 for a well drink these days and it's nowhere near what you just drank right so I mean those are the things that I'm worried about but I mean to me seeing the reception when we poured those samples and like, oh, I'll take that four pack. I'll take that four. I mean, people were walking away from the tasting with like cases, you know, which was great. You know, great feedback on it. Great feedback about the labeling. I mean, there's really nothing about the product I would change, even if I could. But Phyllis brought to you some way to change it, as you can see. <laughs> I see sorry. So I see two things. I see this beautiful pink um, cocktail that you brought. And I see this almost like this straw, like cream, creaming, mm-hmm. like it's almost like a cream ale in a way. But these are the same cocktail with a couple of different there's, variants. There's one, there's one just small tweak we made in it. Um, and curious to see your your feedback, but that just oh, with the you. amount of the amount of uh, uh, one ingredient in there. 
but this is our this is our stock. Uh, and what do you call this? And this is our stock uh, hibiscus margarita. <clears throat> this is more bitter. I also seem to get more of the agave spirit that comes out in the end on this one. I almost want to go to that sensory deprivation room you talked about. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's really hard to make those small subtle adjustments because the difference is literally. Between I mean, besides the, two. the color, this tastes a little more juicy, mm -hmm. um, and this is a little more bitter, mm -hmm. and um, I get more of the agave that comes out on the end of this. You tell me. You have a better taste. I don't know. The difference is not in the tequila and not in the um, not in anything else in the recipe, just in the amount of hibiscus that's added between the two. Okay. That's literally how one small change affects uh, affects everything. Uh, but I'm just super curious to see what you... Uh, yeah, you're the first that have tried the new batch. Mm -hmm. so congratulations. They're both really good. This is more sweet. I like them both. I think I gravitate more towards the first iteration, mm -hmm. but that's just me. Yeah, and Wait, that's not... Our taste buds don't like bitter, so... Mm -hmm. That's just us. I mean, I think hibiscus, you're always going to get like that tart. Yeah, it has a it has a tart a tart sort of interesting. They're both awesome. Yeah. <laughs> if you're if you're making me choose my new child, or yeah. you know, do I get the keys to the Ferrari or do I get the keys to yeah. you know what are you giving me the Porsche here or the Ferrari? They're both great. And the, and the fun thing is this is this is a very widely consumed cocktail, right? It's a margarita. Everyone has tried a margarita at least once. Every bar, pretty much, no matter what kind of bar it is, makes a margarita. Um, it's also the thing that I cringe at ordering as a craft bartender out at most bars. And that's what I love about this is you can get a quality margarita without it, you know, without, without a problem. And the bartender doesn't have to sit there and juice limes for 14 hours. I just wish there was a way to put a little salt on that mouth opening <laughs> so I could... You certainly could. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a packaging opportunity you where you put a little put bit a, of package of salt. Side. So yeah. I, I open it, I taste it, I put a little mm -hmm. salt in there and I can keep there going go. through there. Absolutely. Right. No, that definitely could That's be... yours. You guys do it. Run with it. Have fun with it. Thank you. You're welcome. I need you to sign some papers. I'm sure, right. yeah. <laughs> now, is this how you do most of your tastings? The, or is this an inception of how you'd like to do some of your tastings moving <laughs> this forward? This would be nice, right? I mean, do you, more chaotic, do you allow the people to say, all right, this is the base of what you're doing, and then taste the cocktails? Yeah, and it depends on what, um, whether that's a consumer or whether that's a wholesale client or whether that's a, you know, someone coming to us with a recipe. Um, you know, it depends on which which way that that is. Um, also know that we're very new to the distilling license and all the things, so we haven't done, we, we don't have a set format yet for a lot of that stuff. We're figuring it out as we go, which, which is kind of the fun of the process. I love it. Um, this what, is your gin? This is a gin. So this is, a, we call it an American dry gin. Um, you know, there's about 13 different botanicals in there. Um, and it's a, it's a really fascinating um, fun take on on a gin, I think. It's it's citrus forward, like it. almost citrus bitter forward. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I got a lot of pepper on the nose. I got mm -hmm. a lot of. There's a lot of herbs. There's an herbaceous nose to this. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has a lot of botanical pieces that you know come forward, um, and you know there definitely also is some citrus in there, mm -hmm. but it's you know. Try to balance it. Obviously, it starts on a, on a base of juniper, and then we kind of build around that um, in a variety of different ways. The juniper, to me, almost comes out 
minty, you know, not as piney, but more minty mm-hmm. or more in the way of thyme or rosemary or something like that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's one. Um, so it's now, I, yeah, the rosemary. I mean, well, and this is this is probably why. And, and just for you know, I, I did not know that. I didn't see the label. <laughs> yeah. So why it does that is because of this that you're about to try. Um, so that gin is specifically sourced for um, this oh. gin and tonic. Um, Holy cow. So we kind of, you know, now you can kind of see where we're playing off of the flavors. The spirit flavors really impact the cocktail. Um, so our seasonal gin and tonic for, um, for fall winter is a rosemary gin and tonic. We wanted some like warmer um, notes, but still have a refreshing drink. Um, and that's what makes this work. That does. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. So you can kind of see like approaching, approaching the spirit. Approaching the spirit as, as one of the pieces of the whole, sometimes, you know, we change, like, how that spirit would be. Um, that gin might drastically change come spring when we do a different type of gin and tonic. That's something to look forward to as a consumer. Mm-hmm. Because now if I become a fan of what you're doing, now I can look forward to saying, okay, I have this. I better stock up on it. It may not be here, but I know the next iteration to come down, the spring or summer gin and tonic, that becomes a collectible item. Mm-hmm. That becomes a brand that you know I'm going to follow now and look forward to. Yeah, I think it's a it's a fun, fun sort of sort of step from there. Um, and is this 10% ABV as well, or is that a little bit lower? That one's 10. The margarita's higher. Um, you know, they they range. I mean, they go up above 16. Um, we don't have any of these for you to try right now, but we've also canned Manhattans and Old Fashions. Um, well, we'll be sleeping in the back waiting you know, for you to can those and have uh, them ready. So <laughs> the highest the highest that we've we've made safe for canning is right around 30%, um, which is pretty boozy. But um, for, for our stock things, we're not trying to kill you with an 8-ounce can. All right. So you're doing 8-ounce cans. Is there a plan to do um, bottles? Is there a plan to do larger cans? You know, like you said, this is, this is new. This we've is young. Done, yeah, we've done 12-ounce cans also. Um, that works very well for some of the lower ABV, co- very crushable cocktails for summertime. Um, so I'm sure at some point there'll be some things in our lineup like that. Um, Bottles, we'll have to see, possibly for the local market. Um, shipping glass is difficult and expensive, okay. um, both for us receiving the packaging in bulk. And um, I mean, that's the can format is just so great for a variety of reasons. But one of them is, you know, we are able to take the, the drinks and market them to a wider audience, um, you know, at a more effective price point um, when it comes to us saving on some of the shipping and and other other aspects of that. What I find so fascinating and I was thinking about this earlier as you were talking about, you know, helping these other bars and businesses stay in business. Mm-hmm. And this is all a COVID inception, right? I, you know, I, I certainly wonder what would have happened if we weren't forced to be shut down and change our way of life had COVID not happened. Yeah. But you're on that next step. You're saying, all right, we've gotten to this point where we've helped businesses stay afloat. We've introduced the consumer 
and change the consumer's habits. Because we know that there were distilleries that were doing a little bit of their ready-to-drink cocktails. Mm -hmm. Some of them were on the beginning side of things before they even knew why they were doing it. They just wanted to have cocktails walk out the door. Yeah. And this is that next, okay, we've gotten here. Now let's put an amazing high-quality product in a can. Yeah. Because this is what the consumer wants. I think that's 100%. So if somebody comes to you with an... Basically, you could work with a bar or a business or a, an existing distillery. Mm -hmm. If they come to you with an idea, you're... Look, now what I see is they don't have to worry about buying a canning line. They know that there's going to be a business, a company out there like yours yeah. that is going to have the personality and the quality of what they're looking to express. A hundred percent. And, you know, and that just that we've, we've gone through a lot of the mistakes of figuring out what we can and can't do so that our development process is a little different. There's always been co-packers that'll do that. But the other thing about us is we're, we're very much a small craft producer of those things. So we're not going to require you to do a 700 gallon minimum or a 300 gallon minimum. You know, we're, we're much more nimble in that respect. Um, and our recipe portfolio is so large, you know, when, when you bring me, oh, I want to go this route, we probably have something that's already been tested for the can. So there's not going to be that upfront cost of like developing that product over and over and over. We've We've kind of gotten through those things. You're really helping to shorten the runway mm -hmm. for people to get some ideas into cans. And I look at it this way. Again, I see the consumer now educated. Like the same thing with Zoom, right? I mean, who would have thought that all these business meetings would have happened on Zoom and talking to family members on Zoom? And now it's just something that's more part of our way of life. Well, ready-to-drink cocktails are more part of our way of life. As you amplify the quality of what it is, you make that runway smaller for these businesses to say, you know, if, if you're a local restaurant here, as you've talked about with some of these cocktails, I can now have and create a new revenue source or an existing revenue source that I can make bigger by having my customer walk out or my, you know, my, my bartender or even my server upsell and say, hey, you love that cocktail. Would you like to take it home with you? Yeah. Well, there's also an aspect that I would love Don to explain because he's, he's seen it over and over. Um, you know, we were at a local place recently and um, having a beer after work discussing some business things. And we watched the bartender um, get a cocktail order in. Just, and just grind to a halt. Right. Busy bar, empty pints on the on the bar, and somebody came in and ordered a Cosmo, and that was it. Ten minutes, no drinks poured, money lost. Right? I mean, so every, over one Cosmo, one drink. And she was being meticulous about okay. it. You know, she was filled the cup with you know filled the glass with ice, let it sit, looked in the book again. You know, mixed the drink. I mean, it wasn't ten minutes. I'm exaggerating, of course, but it was minutes. It was enough to say. And if you're a bartender, when you're in the zone, when you're in the flow, yeah. you know, it's you're, like like you're yesterday pints. is Harvey Wallbanger Day. Who orders a Harvey Wallbanger? <laughs> and if somebody says at the bar, "I'd like to have a Harvey Harvey Wallbanger," I'm like. Do we even have Galliano? <laughs> is is that that dusty bottle in the back that we keep moving, wondering if anybody's right. ever going to use it? Right? Yeah. Good. How spoiled is it? I mean, How that, bad is my orange but juice? But that happens, yes. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Two or three times in a half hour, and I mean, so just him and I, empty empty pints on the bar. I wonder 
and I hear what you're saying, Don, but I wonder if the consumer at the bar, mm-hmm. what their reflection is going to be if they see the bartender crack open a can and pour. Yeah, and that's just, and so we're we're at a place that's more of a pub, right? That we're talking about. I would have a very, I think, I would have a very different perception as a consumer if I went into a very high-end cocktail bar where I'm paying more than twenty dollars per cocktail, right? right? Um, and I see the bartender not make the thing. I think that would be different right. than if I go to my local pub and. Don gets a pint of Guinness and I want to have a margarita. Well, I wouldn't normally order that margarita, but if I knew this was there, I probably would. Um, We're not trying to replace the high-end cocktail bar. No, to the point, I think that's exactly – the way you framed it is perfectly. Look, if I walked into a, a, a brewery. Mm-hmm. Because now, you know, breweries are limited depending on I, yeah. their license. And Don, you could speak more to that. But if now I'm, I'm – if somebody says, I don't want beer, yep. but now you provide them with an option for their customers. I've got six cans here, mm-hmm. maybe eight by the time yeah. the podcast app airs. But I've got all these choices to say, look, if you have somebody that wants a margarita, if you have somebody that wants to drink this blackberry honey mm-hmm. Crack open the can. Yep. You can even put the can next to the glass that you exactly. serve it in. That's what that's what we see because that's why we. I'd be spend open so to that as a consumer. Doing the art yeah. beautifully, putting the ingredients, putting the ABV, putting everything that you want to know, and like fun little hit things that we hide in the labels, and we do that for places as well. We'll brand their information. Oh, I see information. it. I see it. Buy Canary you know? cocktails. Buy Canary yeah. cocktails. You, you yeah. work it into the. Uh, we, we but we put yeah we put and you like see, you branding. Have a third more right. You have that. Pour over top. Right. Your, we your were, little sidecar, boom. <laughs> we went. We went into a space, and you know, the, the owner was talking to me, and I said, "Phil, they, we got to help them. They have a thirty to forty minute bar tab wait. Busy. They're just losing money. Right? I mean, it's a younger crowd place. They're not going to care at all. They probably love the can look, right? College age, grad school age, and they're waiting thirty minutes for a drink. I mean, if you and I were waiting for thirty minutes for a drink, there'd be no waiting, right? Because you would be, you'd be gone, right? I mean. You're just losing money as an owner. And it fixes it. We give you a six-drink menu. And the other thing, they're giving 15 options of drinks. You know, somebody's going to order one of all 15. Give you a six-drink menu, these six drinks. Decide on your retail price. And they're going to love it because you're going to serve it in a nice glass with the sidecar look. And it works. The fixes other, the problem. The other thing is that I have gone in to a bunch of the places and... and the bar manager usually brings up like, "Oh, well, how are people? You're asking me to reconceptualize bartending, and and your and consumers are going to feel a certain way." And this is where I think my 25 years of being in front of people, I usually say, "Hey, hold on, no, I'm I am giving you the opportunity to be the best kind of bartender because you can increase your interaction with the guest, your explanation of the drink, and your actual hospitality." One part. Um, you know, but the other the other aspect of it is you don't have to worry about as a bar manager in the back of your head a lot of the other issues that happen with making a lot of cocktails. Here's what I love about this. Yeah. Look, you're not worried about waste. Nope. You're not worried about overpouring. Nope. You're not worried about spoilage. And they're the same every time. Yeah. I mean, you could you could certainly have a bartender with a heavy hand, mm-hmm. or you could have somebody that oh, yeah. has a light hand, mm-hmm. and now. People were returning stuff and saying, this doesn't have yeah. enough alcohol. You've created a consistency opportunity 
you're solving problems, and I agree with you. Yeah, without if, without if, lowering the quality. Yeah, if you charge me twenty dollars for, and I see the bartender take out a glass <laughs> and pour a can in the glass, I'm sure. gonna be like, er, you know, not yeah. for me. But for Dawn and I, like I said, it, certain atmosphere, certain place. This is awesome, but I love the idea too that now that bartender can say, "Hey, if you like that cocktail, take it home with you. We have a four pack. You'd mm-hmm. love to take that home with you. Yeah. You upsell. Now you're making more money. Yeah, and There's- branding because they're going to want to come back to that place again, and they may say, "Hey, can I just come back because I love the cocktail? I'll just take the four cans with me, stop on the way home from work, and I can have a nice evening." You know. Yeah, yeah I think there's all those, and then there's the aspect too that. Um, the number one selling item at a lot of the places that we've talked to that aren't obviously these aren't high-end cocktail bars because they don't even usually offer this but um are seltzers and i i have a suspicion that the seltzer market got as crazy as it did because people could get a consistent decent product that wasn't beer and it wasn't Um, Because if you don't go to a cocktail bar and you don't go to a wine bar, those are the two places where you're going to get a specialized thing. But let's say outside of that, you're not at either of those two places, but you don't want to drink a beer. Your options are water or beer. (laughs) And then I think Seltzer jumped into that and and sort of built on that. And now we're offering something else, possibly what you really wanted. Maybe not, you know, but that's that's. Kind I of love we're... the option this provides. Yeah. I I think that there's such a fertile ground for yeah. you to explore with this. What is you're remembering what you poured? <laughs> no, no, no. I, just, I was just seeing if it's open. Um, so the the char on this particular bourbon um, lends itself to um, a longer a longer sort of rest period in the glass. So I'm going to ask mm-hmm. the three clear spirits that you've poured. And now we're getting into brown mm-hmm. spirits. Are these all Pennsylvania or are they, out, are they outside of Pennsylvania? Um, so outside of Pennsylvania okay. as well. So, Not specifically any one of those, just outside of Pennsylvania. Outside. outside. <laughs> outside. We, we, one, we do one a one lot of, the other of work. Forty-nine states. Yeah, we, we do <laughs> one of the other 49 states. We do a lot of work to get sort of well, like. I mean, technically, we've blended it for you. Thank yeah. you very much. So I appreciate now that. Pennsylvania. Yeah. As a bourbon, this is delicious. Nice, buttery. Mm-hmm. Um, nice, great caramel notes. Um, spicy to it. I love it. Yeah. I just walk home with a bottle of this if I knew what it was. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, this is... Think of this what, is... Compare that to what you think's in the well and what they're making drinks out of from what you You make an awesome point there yeah. because, again, you're going with this lower product. I'm not going to say... It's just less expensive because they've got to make money, okay. but you're not giving them the quality that's there. You're not giving them the value. We're, and we're working really hard to take that. I would that in particular, right? I would put against. Is this a weeded? Um, it is not a weeded. Really, it's high rye. Because um, it's got some character of a weeded it, bourbon it, to it. It does. That's because um, we blend two bourbons I'm, in I'm there. Just, I'm there's just a, exploring with you, Phil. There's a, yeah, there's a, there's a 12-year-old, um, there's a 12-year-old and, a, and a six-month bourbon that are blended together to create exactly what we think should be in that bottle. And I would put it against most of the high-end things that are on the shelf behind the bar where you're going to be paying above $20 for a cocktail with or for a pour. All right. Uh, now I want to know what, what cocktail is this making? Um, so that's, that's – uh, we're going to go to the <laughs> like, Plums Cup. I'm like – the but, anticipation's killing me. you got to try before – it's in two, but you got to try another spirit um, <laughs> that isn't ever intended to be necessarily consumed on its own. But I just want you to see how we, um, we modify some other things. That is so buttery. 
Yeah. I can't say that I've, other than a butter washed whiskey, mm-hmm. I don't know if we've had something out of the bottle that was that buttery. That yeah. is. I mean, so it's nice. a pretty high proof. Um, I was gonna say it did seem like it was high proof. That's all right. It is high proof. Yeah, that's so that's uh, that's fifty six percent. So you know we're one hundred and twelve. All right. So that's almost that. That would be a lot of barrel proof. Um, be close to that. Um, this is another another spirit. So that uh, that starts as a um, that starts as a grain neutral spirit and gin, and becomes. A cordial aperitivo sort of fun thing. I got peach on the nose. Yeah, I got like there's stone a lot fruit of, on the. Oh, there's like there's there's. I some wanna, stone I fruit, just definitely. want a bottle of this. Yeah, so that's um, that has plum and a lot of different types of orange flavor. So you've got both Seville orange. So is. Are, are all these for sale now too? <laughs> Today at a high price for yeah. you. Eventually, eventually something like this might be might Thank be Thank you, available. Bob Barker. <laughs> um, Right now we're so focusing you're, on so, cans. So again, I mean, that's the fun part. I mean, we talked to Method Spirits, mm-hmm. and we had a great conversation. They created their sweet vermouth because of a need mm-hmm. for bartenders to have a high-quality vermouth that's going to stand up to some of these new American craft cocktails yeah. that are coming out. And to me, whatever that is that you're – Defining whatever that's defined as, I would love to have a bottle of that on my bar. I mean, that's a. I mean, that's a. That's, that's a very. That's, that's a very amazing. classic. That's a very classic. I mean, that's. This comes with a lot of history of um, when you're talking about that bourbon. That bourbon comes with a lot of distilling skill and a lot of aging skill. But and I'm just talking about the aperitif. Or, oh, the aperitif. Yeah, the aperitivo is is. Oh, that's a whatever whole, you're whatever you're calling this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's our aperitivo number one, um, and that's it's a really like I said that's a fun thing, and that comes from me creating um, creating flavors for specifically for cocktails for years and years and years and years. I have to ask. How did you come up with Canary Cocktails? How's the name coming? What is that? Well, uh, Don, you're laughing, so... I'm still trying to figure it out, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's... it's uh, if you... The, the pun should be somewhat obvious. Um, can. Yeah. It's a cannery, but, man. That's it. Yeah. But then you got... What throws me off is the, the bird on the... It just, you know... Well, the, I mean, and that's... We, our somewhat aggravated millennial bird. Yeah. <laughs> Don always jokes. Don always jokes that the bird isn't angry. He's not angry. Enough. He's, he's, he's not angry. He's gassy. Yeah, that's right? all. He's like, he's like millennial upset, you know? Like... You know, we, it just it, it don't down your your logo. Like it, no, it when works. I was when I was um, passing off branding and and label inspiration ideas to the graphics artist, one of the things that I wanted was to recreate um, a sense of childhood fun, and I gave a lot of inspiration of like um, Richard Scarry books. I don't know if you ever read those as a kid, but they're these highly illustrated books where the story is all through the book with these different types of in, uh, inspiration. Um, so a lot of brightly colored art, um, white background. You can kind of see, like, you know, then we've we've brought in our own artistic style to that. We do some other type fun stuff. But when it comes to the bird, it's a little bit in between this Richard Scarry and Winnie the Pooh. And you'll see that reflected in some of the illustrations that you have a very, like, stylized but still go together um, piece. So that's that's... With the branding, that's what we wanted. We wanted to invoke a little bit of fun, um, but also still be something that you could remember. Um, and I, I feel like with 
with all of those pieces, we've done a pretty good job of capturing that on the branding. Um, and you know, we and like I said, we have we have fun with the labels, and you know, we want them to stand out and be as playful as our drinks are. I, and I think what that does for me is you know, here's one of the questions that goes through my mind, mm-hmm. and in a way, you've already answered that by the quality and just this over-the-top amazingness of flavor and personality in each can, we're at a point where how do you differentiate yourself in a way to the market of ready-to-drink cocktails that are already out there and finding their ways to the shelves? And I think what it's already answered for me, for, for both of you, for Don and Philip, that you're differentiating yourself. You've already created an idea of how you want your brand to look, yeah. how you want that consumer to understand that now they're going to get something that they're not going to get just from that local distillery or local you know yeah. business. Yeah, and that's and it's and it's the idea of it's a hand it's a handcrafted product. So it doesn't matter whether it's the label that starts with somebody literally drawing each label specific thing to match what's in that can. Um, or the fact that like Don's in here hand rolling labels onto <laughs> cans for hours and hours at the end of his day, um, you know, to us building the building everything from the bitters to whatever, um, it all goes through, you know, to be that. And I think that's our dif- differentiation. I, mean, I think with the labels, I mean, two sides, right? The product side, but I mean the, the labeling. She does a great job, and I mean they're all kind of special in their own way. But the other aspect of it is, is so you come to me tomorrow for your bar or your restaurant, unlike everybody else on a dime, I can create a personalized perfect label or it's your wedding or it's your whatever that are going to have our look and feel and co-branded with our emblem. But I mean, we have a flexibility out there in terms of differentiating the product that I don't think any other product has. We're not huge, right? Like, so like not yet. Some, well, <laughs> yet. But, you know, a main, a huge, you know, Fortune 500 company selling cans in a, in a state store that that can looks the same every single time and it's that. We're not that, but we're even the smaller gang now because we we do every single thing in-house here. We make those labels, we to design them. To that point, Don, I mean, I, I, I get a sense that you're, you're like a, a star, you know, think about a caterer. They'll do those small events, mm-hmm. and as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, do you have the ability to still do those small events down the road where you're only yeah. doing thirty-gallon batches? And I think, for what you said, Philip, look, you've already had these tried and true and tested recipes. So pulling something off a, a line and saying, "All right, we already have this plums cup. We'll just put your artwork on it. If you want to do a wedding or you want to do mm-hmm. this for your restaurant or bar, you can do that, right? right. Yeah." I, I think a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of products out there that are made by big companies that you can still get that customized level, right? I mean, so it'll always be a part of the business where we're doing the small batch run for somebody and doing custom labeled. And yeah, there's going to be, that's kind of why we tried to launch a six can line that was like our main production line. Because at some point you're spot on, like that business is probably or hopefully going to become a very big thing. But I think there's also just so much market out there. You know, you look at what, you know, I remind my wife annually how much she spent on our wedding, right? I mean, that is a huge How long business. ago was that? You're reminding her how much Every you spent. Every year <laughs> for 15 years, I've reminded her what we spent on our wedding. But, I mean, that is a huge business. Okay. Billions, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a massive business, and there's it's untapped in this area, right? I mean, a customized drink that you put in the swag bag on the way out. 
You know, so as yeah. a gift for a wedding, if I got this, I felt like I didn't give the bride and groom enough <laughs> of a gift. Solid, right? right? Man, yeah. you know, they're going to hate us. And then the <laughs> other side, away from, the, I mean, the cans, because she does such a great job and we do it all in house, but I mean, our differentiation is this isn't a regular canned cocktail like you've been used to in the marketplace the last 10 years. What is this you're pouring for us, Philip? So you might just want to smell this and not drink it since you told me you're both not super fond of bitter. No, we are. Because, but no, that's, 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 see, here's the thing. When it comes to hops, yeah. I think we the, the hops in a beer, we love mm-hmm. hops in mead and cider, but the bitterness of it, I think, in a cocktail or in something else... Gravi- we gravitate towards that. This is a bitter aperitivo, and by bitter, I mean it's it's. I don't think it's that bitter. No, that's it. It could be bitter more, more, <laughs> more bitter. It definitely, it definitely scores up there. But you know what? When you guys do the commercial that you're going to do when you get to that point, I, I see somewhere that angry bartender because you've replaced them. You know, you've, they're, they're angry because somebody's coming in and they're going to say, hey, can I have a bitter Cosmo? And they're, they're ticked off because they just want to make their drinks that's, and now they just keep coming in and they're pouring your drink. That's exactly what I originally thought, right? Every bartender is going to hate us. But then suddenly it's a busy bar and they don't have to make drinks and they're selling 30% more cocktails. They're not anymore, right? They're not millennial canary angry. They're suddenly like, hey, hey. filter all your emails to canary cocktails to Don Benedetto. Right. Good pronunciation. Thank you. But I mean, I think that was my first thought, like there would be hesitancy in bars. But unless you're at that high-end cocktail bar where it's their craft, it's mainly an annoyance when they have to make a mixed drink at a busy bar. Right, they don't want it. Like you, like if it's not a vodka out. soda or a right. whatever, like a, a two a, a two you know poor sort of situation. Right. Coke, you know, vodka, a lot of places cranberry. just aren't set up for it. Like if I, um, I mean, literally, if we we still do a lot of events and things for um, and help out some other liquor companies, and like the setup that I bring for uh, making drinks at a thing like that, it's quite extensive, and most bars don't don't have that. You know, or um, the staff now. To yeah. be honest, did we skip the plums cup? No, no we oh, yeah. totally did. Don, I'm the one that's been drinking. Yeah. You shouldn't you be did. missing I cocktails. Well, I don't think we said the name, so I wanted yeah. to get it no. on. The- we actually <laughs> did. I feel like it's that progressive commercial where we're going to throw out the red flag. Yeah. You know, uh, this is since I like. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but these have all been amazing. I would be so happy. If I had these for cocktails at a cocktail bar, yeah, I really would. I would not, you know. Again, once as a consumer, I get past the idea. So I wonder, is this something you could? Because I've seen other bars do this. Can you put this in a keg? Can you put this in some sort of we've, a, we've, a, a, a line? We can. Um, we're we're pausing on that for a little, but we have we have helped places kegging their cocktails you know it's a very similar it's a very similar thing um the reason for the pause is all of the other things that are involved in that on the bar's end um like keeping the lines clean um you have to rely on them to mix a certain level yeah possibilities of possibilities of waste like for the bar in terms of their costs can be extensive like um, you know, someone asked me to help them with, with kegging, you know, some cocktails for them and just looking at the fact that, okay, they clean their lines once a week. Great. But, you know, draining the lines, the very old lines they had from the basement, 
to go to the bar on the second floor, you know, um, this is not beer, which maybe theoretically is a few cents an ounce. You know, this is an actual cocktail with nice spirits in it. So, so the cost is a little higher for the bar, and that's where we tend to run into some issues. Whether or not we'll overcome all of those things, I think there's a possibility. I think it, over time for yeah. you and what you're doing, people are going to find you. Yeah. And they're going to want to have this yeah. available to them. So they'll figure it out. Yeah. And yeah, as long as you're willing to work with them, they'll figure you, everybody yeah, I think will figure it out. That'll be a thing. Um, but yeah, you're drinking that bitter Cosmo. Um, so we make the we make the bitter aperitivo. Well, now that I'm goes just drinking it. your bitter aperitivo because <laughs> Dawn finished the Cosmo. Oh. <laughs> um, well, we can pour some more. But that's, um, so gr- things that stand out from a traditional Cosmo with this, um, we had grapefruit to it, um, and um, our aperitivo is really highlights a lot of those citrus flavors, and we wanted to make there's a couple of these drinks that we wanted to have some fun with, right? So wanted to make the Cosmo that the non-Cosmo drinker drinks and goes, ooh, I like this. What? I like a Cosmo. But the Cosmo drinker drinks and goes, yeah, I like this. You know, so it finishes a little different than a traditional Cosmo. Um, what did you call it? The husband, the husband and, wife? and wife Cosmo. Cosmo, you yeah. enjoy the Cosmo together yeah. instead of it's being a... <laughs> You know, so there's drink. there's a couple of drinks that are fun in that way, um, but we'll pause with the cans for a second because I want you to try two spirits. That By I, the way, I mean you, I, as I drink these. So we were mm-hmm. at Edelwein Distillery in Nashville, and they make amaros and they make mm-hmm. really good um, digestifs, and that's what I'm calling back to. I mean, these are things that I would walk in here and say I want. This number one. Yeah. I want the, I, you know, I would buy bottles of that. And that, that I think we'll definitely do. So because commend, those, kudos those to you. Being, these are delicious. Are scaled these up. are trim. And, and uh, as a bar, I would want these behind the bar because now I have something that I know the quality and the flavor and some of the other just different cocktails I can make with that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So this is, um, there's a can that um, we're going to make. Uh, tomorrow, actually, that's for one of our clients that um, we source this for. But unfortunately, I can't can't serve you that one today. But I want you to try the base spirit because I think, I think it's lot. it's <laughs> really really um, good. Um, this is a uh, this is a six year rye. I was gonna say, um, and it is nice and spicy. It is an outstanding example of what made um, Maryland and Pennsylvania famous for rye. Um, like it's it's to me it's to me it's a standout. Distilled in Pennsylvania, that one? No, no, <laughs> really. But distilled with an eye on what Pennsyl- what Pennsylvania did incredibly well. It has characteristics it, of a Monongahela style rye. Yes, and that's exactly what that was built around. And it's not um, it's not the softer rye that you would expect from let's say a a larger Midwestern, you know, bulk spirits warehouse. Um, Starts with an M, yeah. ends with a P. Yeah, it is. And, and that, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy a lot of their products, to be honest with you. Um, and their, their higher and stuff is very, very good, but that is not from that's there. Not as, that's, that's not as bitey as what yeah. you're describing. Yeah. This it is, really tails off. There's a, there's actually a nice creaminess to this. Yeah, 12%, 12% of the mash pills barley. Um, it's um, it's fifty seven percent rye and the rest is corn. So, all right. Yeah. If um, we can grab that bottle, and uh, <laughs> it's, that's it's, awesome. You know, I think it's see. Really this good. is the thing, and what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. When you start with these base spirits, you know that's going to be an amazing cocktail. Yeah. 
And I can't find this if I'm a bartender or I'm a spirit. You know, if I need to bring mm-hmm. my spirits in, if I need to start with that base, where am I going to find it? And, and can I actually charge six, seven dollars a pour for that at yeah. a bar? No yeah. way. So, and that's, I think, you know, I think that this is where our whole sort of structure starts is also we hope to eventually, for a few of our accounts, help them reclaim the well, um, you know, and offer, offer people amazing things. Because imagine, this is your well, uh, you know, that this is not what people serve in their well. Um, and this, well, you can't afford to. I mean, if yeah, you should. You, in a you, lot of no, ways, no, no, no. you can't afford and that's, it. And we want to make that. We want to make that a thing. We want to fix that. We want to fix that problem very, very soon, um, and and not have it be just something that the well is thought of as something cheap. Because that's the difference of when you go into a high end cocktail bar. That's the other piece of that, right? Is a really good bar manager at a high end cocktail bar knows how to source super quality spirits that are also a value that make those drinks. Uh, to that point, though, to what you're saying, if I go into a high-end cocktail bar, mm-hmm. I don't want low-end well. Yeah, there is and no low-end well, hopefully. There, that, should, there shouldn't that's be. That's what I'm saying. Right? That's where I say if a high-end cocktail bar, that shows up, I'm yeah. very happy. Yeah. yeah. But then again, I mean, I guess I get the personality where I say, and somebody says, you know, we're making this drink. And I say, what else can you make it with? Because I don't mind up. Sure. I don't mind up buying as a consumer if I know and I look at the back bar and I say, you know, I like you to make it with that. Yeah. But if that's already in the well or a higher end. Yeah. And this is this is where you wouldn't have to do that. No, I wouldn't have to. You know, Um, and that's and this is this is one that I'm pretty proud of our um, blending skills. So this is a this comes in a long, a long history. of. This is uh, a rum. This is a rum. And it's blended from a mix of three different rums, um, one from the U.S. and two not from the U.S., um, and it's just, uh, to me, for what we end up doing with it and for cocktails, you can drink that straight and it's got character and it's unbelievable. Juicy, fruity, funky, banana. All the things. It's all, see, if you put rum into a, what do they call that? Where it spins around. A centrifuge. Mm-hmm. I'm in a centrifuge. Yeah, there you go. If you put this in a centrifuge of all the characteristics that I want in a rum, that's what I get in this. Yeah. And that's exactly so, you know, coming to that and saying, hey, what do we want in this and what do we want in a cocktail rum um, that could really stand up with character to the cocktail but also accent and augment those flavors, um, you know, and I think I think we nailed that spot on. Um, that and a daiquiri is like the best thing in the world. Just a little lime um, juice? Yeah. That's it. You're done. Little, it's, it's you don't even lot, need the simple syrup. You don't need any sweetener. Just... Yeah, that's simple. That's easy. We'll go back. We'll back, go back to the cocktails See, now. I was. I, I saw this right out of mm-hmm. the corner of my eye. This grand grandpa's. grandpa's I'm gonna say yeah. grandma because I don't know who that is, but he's got a little mustache. So <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming that's. I mean, it could be an Italian grandma, but. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, look. Send your letters and comments to Dawn. <laughs> Look at the look at the uh, I mean look at the head on that. No, so you get the you get the you get the typical espresso martini foam. Um, this was, you know, uh, this is yeah. a homage to your coffee days, isn't it? Yeah, and and actually 
it's so it's called Grandpa's Espresso Martini because Grandpa's a little grumpy and he drinks bourbon. Why is everybody um, so grumpy here? You guys don't seem grumpy. grumpy. You missed us earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's um, yes, it's a homage to the coffee thing. So starting with that, like literally, we source green coffee, roast it a particular way for um, being part of our spirits lineup, and you know, so that has our cold brew espresso. Um, I know. I knew, then, I knew I wasn't getting that back. And then Once but, I handed that off to you, I knew. But just like the Cosmo, there was sort of a fun play when we were approaching that, which was this. We want a drink that the espresso martini drinker is going to drink and enjoy. Then I want to make an espresso martini as a challenge to the person who would never order an espresso martini. They're going to drink that and like it. And the classic one of that is people who drink just not even cocktails, but like bourbon, whiskey in general. There's still, we've tested this on a bunch of people and they're like, oh, I love this. I didn't know I like espresso martinis. And that was the duality of what that is. Um, and we accent the flavors in the bourbon with some other unique characteristics. It's very different than the other espresso martini that we do, but um, that takes play from the most, the last couple of years, the most popular summer drink in a coffee shop was an espresso and tonic. And we took some, some liberties from that as well. So that has our tonic in it um, as part of the build. I get, I get the yeah. tonic. I, that's it, what, I'm glad you said that yeah. because I'm trying to you know, harness yeah. what I'm tasting because this is unlike any martini. We've had a few espresso martinis. Yeah. And when you get that, you get coffee and vodka. Yeah. Or you get a neutral grain spirit and coffee. Yeah. And that's what you taste. This has so much different personality. So, so we wanted to pull the flavors of the coffee and the flavors of the bourbon and still be an espresso martini. Like you have that base flavor, but we, I wanted to pull those flavors out, accentuate them in a different way. Um, and the tonic sort of acts as a foil to those two to bring out all sorts of depths of flavor from each of them. So it's a really fun thing. And it doesn't taste like... The other thing is it doesn't taste like one thing. It doesn't. You know. That's several things. Yeah. yeah. So, and it, but, the, but it still works in harmony. It's still a cocktail. So that's kind of the fun... You know, that's the fun lineup. That's what we, you know, we strive to craft things that are that. What's the plan? Where do you see... I always say this is our, you know... Job interview question. Where do you see yourself in five years? You know, so, I mean, it's really getting the product out to market as much as we can and as quick as we can. And right now, the quickest thing we've done, which is like the local tastings and the expositions that you're allowed to do under the, you know, under the licensing rubric and selling it that way and online. I mean, the thing is, is once we kind of turn this up, I mean, right now, the way to ramp it up right now is getting bars and restaurants to adopt it. Right? I mean, then you'll see the product by where you live. You'll see the product here and there. And then hopefully once it's in the state store, you're like, oh, I had that, you know, and they were charging me X for it. And now I'm able to get it right in my local state store. So hopefully the product acceptance is there. Like what you said, pointing out that, you know, am I ready to drink a cocktail out of a can, which I think is really there. And I mean, we haven't even talked about like the, the applications of this outside of bar and restaurant and retail. I mean, just think of like what a miserable experience traveling now is and, getting a drink, you know, all those things. Yeah, I mean, if you can get this one, you know, one of the airlines want to stock this. And and you asking about five years, and that's what we're talking about. Hotel minibars. Five years from now, we want you as a consumer to have such a better drinking experience. Um, I did sales in the whole mid-Atlantic, right? 
So for beverage stuff and I would go to places and help them and the whole integrated thing. But like a lot of that brought me onto Amtrak. <laughs> That's what we want. Right. Because like here I am on Amtrak. Now I have my airplane mini bottle, swipes, whatever tonic that they got, my plastic cup with ice and I'm trying to like and a lime that looks like it was cut sometime <laughs> last century and I'm trying to build a gin and tonic. Um, right. We want to smooth that over for you and be like, hey, this... Now, the year-round Amtrak gin and tonic, and, and honestly, have it be something that's so good that if I poured it in a highball, um, if I put that in a Collins glass with a fancy garnish, and you went and you paid $28 for it, you'd be like, oh, this is amazing. Here's what the I know. The bartender's so good. You, you mentioned Amtrak, yeah. you know, passenger. Mm-hmm. Now, I may want to ride Amtrak more. Because I know what I can find on Amtrak mm-hmm. that's going to be of a, a good quality yeah. that's right. easy to find. It's a, I'm just old enough to remember when traveling wasn't miserable, right? Mm-hmm. You could have a nice drink and maybe be peaceful. Like, try to bring that back to some level, right? I'm going to take the train to New York and I'm going to have a couple canary cocktails on the way. So if somebody's in Idaho, Montana, Nevada, can they order your cocktails and will you ship to them? No. Not yet. No. Yeah. Okay. Too, sorry. It's a hard no. Thank, thank the state of Pennsylvania yeah. and, but there are states too. So liquor, every state, you got to fight the fight. In every so where, state. what states can besides Pennsylvania? Just Pennsylvania. Just Pennsylvania. Just right Pennsylvania now. for now, and then eventually we'll we'll be as we've as we jump through the hoops and find distributors for certain spots and other stuff like that. We're 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 planning on gravitating, starting here, in Wayne. And moving out, out, out. I mean, obviously, we already have accounts and stuff in Phil- in Philadelphia and like this kind of region, but we would love to see you know other states get affected. Now, the exception is we, we talked about traveling things. Surprisingly, Amtrak and uh, the yeah. airlines, we can't. things that the federal government runs, they can do whatever they want. Of course. Look, you're young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are all those growing well, the company. But, <laughs> you're still young. But these are all those processes of growing, right? right? And you'll figure it out. You've already figured it out with these cocktails. You really have. Thank you. These are exceptional. These are I'm I'm grateful that we found this at such a young sure. you know time. Um, and I think, you know, for Don and, and you, Philip, you you guys are on to something. And this is awesome. And I really appreciate your time today that you've been willing to share this. I feel like this is uh, just ready to blow up. That when you find something that you say, wow, this is like, you know, that, 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 that singer that you hear singing from their basement and like, how come nobody knows about you? Because you just started. Mm-hmm. This is great. Thank you so much today. Um, we can't wait to find you on Amtrak or, or flying those friendly skies. Well, you guys are right around the corner, right? Yeah. Come pick up. Come pick up anytime. <laughs> this is great. Thanks so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you.